Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Don't set up your base camp facing the world. Don't set up your camp with the first thing that you see when you wake up and you walk out your front door is, and I'm saying world in the sense not physically because that's where we live, I'm talking about spiritually. You set up your camp facing the Lord. You set up your camp facing the Lord. When you, you make that priority within your day, because I tell you this, the enemy is out there seeking to devour whom he may. What is it that you have placed before you? Is it the will and the desires of the Lord? Or is it the will and the desires of the world? Today, Pastor James encourages you to be aware of the things that you take in each day. The things that you look at and listen to daily have the power to slowly sway your perspectives. Are those things godly or not? If not, now's as good a time as any to start changing things. Through God's Word, learn what it is that Jesus considers good and begin to place those things in your life. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 34 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. that anger lead to sin. If anything, let that anger lead you to your knees before the throne of God and saying, God, I cannot handle this. I, and I don't know about you guys, but man, there's certain things that happen in this world that drive me to that point where it's like, I cannot take any more of this stuff, Lord. I can't handle it. And just to surrender it to him. Surrender it to him. Because ultimately, and we know from the book of Revelation, ultimately, he is coming back and he will deal with all of these stories and all the perpetrators and all the stuff, things that we're not even aware of, that he sees every second of every day. He will come back and fix those things. And I think he's got a lot of millstones that he's been carving for certain individuals. You mess with the kid. You can, it's like, get that millstone tied around your neck, plunge into the sea. I think justice is coming, and I just have to learn to trust in him and say, okay, Lord, man, but how can we help? In the meantime, how can we help? How can we help? Here's the sons. They're going to devise this plan. So they're grieved, and they're upset. And in verse 8, it says, but Hamar, the, the dad, the dad and the son are, are more than likely, they're there, present, before these guys. Spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourself. See, here is a nice little crafty deceit that Satan would love for the children of Israel to get into. Start intermingling with these guys. Then you're going to mess up the line somehow. And there are so many times in, in the journey of Israel where they get just so close to like... I mean, it's so close to where you're thinking, how is this going to work? But the Lord knows how to rescue his people. He knows how to preserve his people. He certainly knows how to make his promises come true. But the dad's expressing this desire. He's like, yeah, you know what? He didn't even say anything. 
He, there's no mention of like, you know what, my son was wrong. You know, I want to apologize to you, Jacob, you know, as fathers, as man to man. I just want to apologize to you for the behavior of my son because I'm sure it's not the first time he's done this. But I want to apologize. Nothing. Nothing. It's immediately into a business type deal. All right, so here's the thing. Kids will be kids. Kids will be kids. Right? That's, that's the logic here. Kids are going to be kids. So, you know, here, here's what we should do. Um, you got a lot of attractive daughters. We have a lot of handsome young men, and we have attractive daughters, and we should just, we should just connect. We should just become one. You, Israel, should become Shechem, is really what the deal is being placed here. That's the arrangement that's being communicated here between these two. Let's make marriages. Let's make this stuff happen. Verse 10, you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourself in it. This is all a big lie. This is all a big lie. It sounds good, but it's all a lie. Verse 11, then Shechem said to her father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me uh, ever so much dowry and gift, and I'll give according to what you say to me, but give me the young woman as a wife. This is essentially what he says. And if some dude comes to me, I got two daughters. If some dude ever comes to me, some young man ever comes to me and says, hey, name your price. Name your price for your daughter. Name your price. Um, That guy's not going to make it that long. He's not going to last long, okay? Because that's now, I'm sorry, but um, that's not how you talk to a dad or brothers about somebody that you quote unquote love, name your price. What is she, cattle? Is she some commodity to be, to be purchased? Because that's what he's treating her like. Probably there in her presence. How much do you want for her? How much do you want for her? Not like, hey, he does mention dowry, but it's not in the sense of like, you know what, hey, I have all this stuff I used to be willing to give to you, and because dowries were commonplace, that's not his attitude. His attitude is, how much, he got his checkbook out. He's like, how much do you want for her? I'll pay you whatever you want for her. That's insane. That's insane. Why they didn't jump on that guy right then and there, I don't know why, right? Why? I, I have no clue. I know Jacob's walking with a limp, but come on, he's probably got like a cane or something. I would have whacked that dude across his head and said, what do you think? How dare you talk to me like that? How dare you talk to me about my daughter like that, who you took advantage of? He's a brave young man. It's a brave young man, that's for sure. But he also is, he's probably grown up in this family where everything's been handed to him. We know he's somewhat of royalty to a certain degree, probably spoiled rotten, and has gotten everything that he's ever asked for. And so this is how he deals with people. Not as people, as property. As property. Even his wives. You're just property. You're a means to an end. That's all you are. How much do you want? That's how he's lived his life, and that's how he's dealing with these guys. His sons, after having watched their father deal so deceptively, for so long, have picked up this skill. And here's what they're going to say to their dad. Or not to their dad, but here's the arrangement that they make. Verse 13, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamar, his father, and spoke deceitfully. Okay, you can interchange that word with Jacob, okay? Because that's what Jacob's name means, all right? So it's, in a sense, it's like they spoke to these guys like their dad, like their dad would or had been known for. 
because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. For that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us. We will be circumcised and we will take our daughter and be gone. We're going to take our sister. They're, they're really speaking on behalf of the family here. We're going to take her, Dinah, and, and we're, we're gone. But if you'll consent to identifying yourself as we are, circumcision was that, that sign. Now, it was practiced not just with Israel, okay? So you, just so you know that, circumcision was practiced throughout the land in certain different groups. But this was a sign that was specifically given to Abraham and to his family as saying, this is how I'm going to identify you guys as distinct from everyone else. Okay? And it's more of just, it's not just a physical thing. It really, as, as we'll know from the New Testament, it, it speaks of that circumcision of the heart. But they're taking this thing that God has given to them to use as their favor to take advantage of these guys. They're bringing God into the equation so that they can take advantage of these, these, this whole community. Two wrongs don't make a right. They just don't. But that's the arrangement that they set. They're like, hey, yeah, hey, you know what? Sounds great. Um, but here's the thing. You need to be circumcised. No big deal. Kern is. Um, no big deal. Uh, you just get circumcised and, and we'll make it all happen. We'll consent to your request. They had a plan in place. Verse 18. And their words pleased Hamar and Shechem, Hamar's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He really wanted to have her as his wife. He was more honorable than, uh, than all the household of his father, which is not saying a lot if the guy who is out taking advantage of young maidens walking around the city is the most honorable person in your house. That's a pretty despicable family. That's crazy. But he was eager to do this. Name your price. Circumcision. That's our price. Done. Done. And he, he convinces. They, they're going to convince the whole town to do this thing which to me is, again, insane. It's just insane. Now, this, is, this isn't like modern medical practices, okay? This isn't like they get to go to a nice sanitary hospital where it may be like, you know, a day surgery type deal where you're kind of in and then you're out and you're going to be recovering for a little while. But, you know, this is like DIY type stuff, like do it yourself. Like they're watching like YouTube videos. I'm like, how do we do this? Um, like not a good idea. Not a good idea. Ugh, goodness. Um, but they agreed to it. And here's, here's the thing that happens. Verse 20. And Hamar and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city, spoke with the men of their city, saying, these men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. That's their goal, to be one people with the nation of Israel, really to dissolve Israel and to make Shechem greater. This is all plot and plan of the enemy, okay? On one condition here, only one condition will they consent to dwell so we can be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, every animal of theirs be ours? 
See, the deceit, see what they were saying is like, no, we'll marry and it'll all work out beautifully. Their goal is we just are looking to take advantage of you and take all that you have because that's what we do. That's what we do. What Shechem did to Dinah was just a microcosm of how the city works as a whole. He took advantage of Dinah and he took from her. What the city is looking to do is to take advantage of Israel as a family and to, take adva- and to steal from them. Shechem is a leader, and leadership, this whole thing is a trickle-down kind of effect. And how he lived his life is how the city and these men are, are anxious to live their lives as well. We'll abuse anybody, and we will take advantage of anybody if it means that we get what we want. That's how they functioned. Tell me again why you want to set up your tent facing that city? Why did you not just pack up camp and run away as soon as you could? Because we just don't do those things. In hindsight, we look back on it saying, yeah, I probably should have. But now I'm dealing with Genesis 34 in my life. So what do you do? Well, you press on. You press on. You understand that Jesus can take our Genesis 34s and he can make a beautiful thing out of these things. How he's going to do that, I don't know. I don't know. But I know he can fix any mess that we get ourselves into. So they're, they're, they're laying out the plan for these guys. Um, let us consent to them, uh, and they will dwell with us. In verse 24, it says, And all who went out of the, the gate of the city heeded Hamar and Shechem, his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. So they all got circumcised probably on that day. Verse 25, now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain. And yes, um, you, so you understand uh, that it's, it's not like, you know, oh, you know, take some Tylenol, you'll be all right, you know, an ice pack, you'll be good, a couple, you know, maybe a day. It's not like that at all. Um, and they actually even say, especially for uh, adult male men, like sometimes the second and the third day are the worst days, are the worst days. So there's even like science to back this up that these guys are having a bad day. They're, they're in a bad spot. There's not much that they can do. So as they are still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Levi, <laughs> Levi, the guy who's, God is going to take him and his tribe and turn them into priests. Crazy. That's crazy. But here's Simeon and Levi, two of her brothers, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. Killed all the males. And they killed Hamar and his house and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain, came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth and all their little ones and wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. So these two brothers, completely outraged at what had happened to their sister, justifiably so, outraged, justifiably so, take it upon themselves to go and wipe out every single male within this village. They overstepped their bounds. This thing would, and, and Jacob, Jacob's response to this thing is bizarre in and of itself, but to punish the offender would have been right. And however that would have worked out, I don't know. I don't know, because there's no law in effect 
at this point in time. Moses hasn't received the Ten Commandments, and you know, especially within Israel and the inner workings of Israel and how we deal with these things in the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth type of scenario. But there probably was some sort of common thing that happened there to where it's like something, some sort of guidelines that, that you know, justice could have been served, rightly so. But these guys went, they went overboard. They went overboard and, and they wiped out this entire city and they totally plundered this entire town and, and they take captive all the children and the wives. They took them for themselves and what's the point? What are you doing with that? What's, what's the point of that? And in the midst of this plundering, I mean, are you attributing this to God? Like, what's the rationale here? It's just, they're so far off. They're, they're so far off in, so far removed from Genesis 32, where it's like such a beautiful story of Jacob and, and the Lord and wrestling and this great thing that happens. But here you see this, this tragic story that takes place, and it, and it really is heartbreaking. And, and here's Dinah. I think she's kind of lost in this whole chapter because she's the one our hearts should be breaking for. And it's just clouded by, like, Jacob's lack of response and his brother's overreaction. And there's this poor girl who didn't ask for this. And you, you understand maybe even the guilt that would be associated with her. You, we know how this stuff works, I think, right? Like, even though she did nothing wrong, you know the enemy would be creeping into her life and whispering into her ear, see, see what you did? All those people died because of you. You know that's what he does. Is it, is he true? Is it right? Not at all. It's not her fault. But here's this, here's this girl, this, this innocent girl in this whole story. Man, that, it's just, it's a tragedy is what it is. But his sons, they, they do all this stuff. Verse 30, Jacob said to Simeon and to Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious amongst the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me to kill me. Notice the personal pronoun that's there. You have done this to me. And now they're going to come after me. And they're going to kill me. Jacob, where's your focus? Where's your focus been the whole chapter, Jacob? There's your answer right there. There's your answer. In case you were wondering why Jacob didn't react the way he should have reacted, he answers it for us in this verse. Me, me, me. That's where he's living. You should be absolutely outside of your mind, outraged at what had happened to your daughter. But you are so concerned about yourself. Even when your sons act, and yeah, they, they acted in, in a way that they shouldn't have acted. But his, his, his argument to his sons is, what have you done to me? Look what you've done to me. Now I've got this bad reputation. Can you imagine what these guys are going to think about me? Can you imagine what they're going to do? They're going to assemble themselves, and they're going to come after me, and they're going to try to kill me. You rewind a little bit into Genesis, early Genesis chapter 32. What was his care and concern about? Me. I'm going to line up my family to go and meet my brother Esau, who threatened to kill me the last time I saw him. And I'm going to send out the servants first, and then I'm going to send out Lee and her family because, well, I don't really like her that much. And then because, you know, I really like this other sister. And uh, so, but I'm going to be at the end of the line. 
So in case he does start killing my family, he can't get me because I will have run away. The old Jacob has reemerged. The old Jacob has shown his head. Here he is. What have you done to me? I'm so few in number. They'll come. They'll gather themselves. They're going to gather against me. They're going to kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But, verse 31, they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Hey, Dad, I had a question. Is it okay that he treated our sister like a prostitute? Just answer me that. Story over. Story's over. Maybe that was a wake-up call for Jacob. Maybe that question from his son was what was used to shake him back into reality. I don't know. I don't know. But it's a fair question for his sons to ask him. Hey, Dad, so you're telling us it's okay for them to treat our sister, your daughter, as a prostitute? You're saying it was okay for for them to rape her. We should be okay with that. Is that what you're saying? In the story. In the story. And that's where you pick up in 35, where God says, Jacob, get to Bethel. Get back to the house of God. There is a danger in a cautionary tale, I think, for us as a church and believers living in this world today. Don't set up your base camp facing the world. Don't set up your camp but the first thing that you see when you wake up and you walk out your front door is, and I'm saying world in the sense not physically because that's where we live. I'm talking about spiritually. You set up your camp facing the Lord. You set up your camp facing the Lord. When you, you make that priority within your day, because I tell you this, the enemy is out there seeking to devour whom he may. And he is crafty, people, and we have to be on guard because it's me, it's you guys. He's after every single one of us. And if he can get us thinking that Shechem has everything to offer to us, man, there's nothing but heartache to follow that. Nothing but heartache. Can the Lord rescue us? Yes. Will he? Yes. But how many scars do you want to acquire throughout this journey? you set up camp, you set it up in such a way that you walk out that front door, so to speak, hypothetically, where you're fixed upon Jesus. And if you represent a family, as I do, and I understand the immense pressure of that, you set up your household to where the focus is Jesus. Because the world is attractive. The world is attractive. Let's not lie to our kids. The world is attractive, and it has a lot to offer. But we all know those things are fleeting, and they never, they never deliver, never. If anything, they deliver heartache. We direct our kids, and we want to point others to Jesus, to Jesus. Go back to Bethel. Go back to the house of God. Get back to where he's at and enjoy his presence. It's a sad tale, but it's, it's certainly one that we can learn from, I believe. Um, and it's one that I'm seeking to apply daily in my life. And I wish I got it right all the time, but I don't. I don't. I don't. There's days where it's like, mm, Shechem looks really good right now, if I'm honest. But praise God, and praise God for the Holy Spirit who resides in us, who says, can, can I give us a little nudge in the gut? Boom. And you're like, ugh. He's like, yeah. It, it's not what you think it is. It's not what you think it is. 
So let's keep, let's keep pressing on. Let's keep pressing on. The historical stories we've been reading about in the book of Genesis are filled with lessons that we just can't ignore. Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and the consequences meant separation from God for all of mankind. Sin entered the world and grew so great that God had to step in. Noah and his family were spared because of their devotion to the Creator, and Abraham's nephew was saved for similar reasons. God does look after those who call Him Lord and who follow Him with all that they are. God's compassion goes even beyond this. He sent His only Son to earth to die in our place, removing the punishment for all of our evil deeds. Jesus' life provided a way for us to reconnect with our Creator and begin to live a new life covered in grace. All we need to do is realize just how sinful we are and how we're unable to do enough to warrant the acceptance of our perfect Creator. We then need to accept that Jesus, who is God's Son, lived a perfect life and then took our sins to the grave. He defeated death three days later. Because of this, He's offering us grace and forgiveness for all of our sins. All we need to do is say yes. We pray that you choose to say yes today. We'd like to encourage you right away to get involved in a local church. And if you're in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you join us. Calvary Galveston meets Sundays at 10 a.m. And you can find directions online at breadforthebroken.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end today. Join us again on Bread for the Broken, where you'll find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love, man, and give